Well, hey, Journey, good to see all of you. My name is Chris. If we haven't met before, the, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, something that you may or may not know is that a friend of ours, uh, a beloved friend of ours named Pastor Sam Summers, passed away a little less than a month ago. And, and I personally, I have the immense pleasure of, of joining staff here at Journey Church at the same time as Sam did back in 2008. And, and as I watched him over the last five years finish so well, I just continue to reflect on how I'm striving to start well, uh, on how, how I want my life to emulate that. And so way back in 2008, about three months after we had both started here at Journey, I was having the opportunity to, to preach for all of you for the first time. And uh, that week leading up to that, Sam, Sam caught me in the office and he could tell that, that I was a bit frightened, a bit nervous, uh, a bit uneasy about the whole thing, and just, he was perceptive as he always was, and, and he grabbed me, and, and he, he just, he looked at me, and he, he kind of just said something that seemed so obvious, but it was so profound, and, and he put his arm on my shoulder, and he said, Chris, you know what? We're all on the same team. Like, everyone in that room, we're all on the, the same team. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to be impressive. Like, we're, we're all cheering for you, and, and I think that that's just, directed my life the last five years as I week in and week out prepare to, to speak to high schoolers or whether it's to share with all of you. Uh, my, my hope is that all of us would, would gather here together today and, and we would actually realize that, yeah, we are all on the same team. And, and just as Sam chose to walk with me, we would realize that we all get to walk together as well, pursuing God, learning what it even means to follow Jesus. Some days good, some days bad. And then at the end of all that, may we also all finish well. And so let me just pray that that might be true tonight. God, we come before you humbly, understanding that you're a God who meets us right where we are, and you know exactly what we need to hear. And so would you give us the courage and the boldness tonight to just open up our lives to you? so that we might hear from you, that we might have an actual encounter with the, the one true living God. And as we continue to figure out what it even means to follow you would, you, would you be with us, would you go with us, and would you love us? We trust you, we give this night to you. It's your name we pray, amen. Okay, so there's this story in the, the book of John, John chapter six to be exact, uh, where, where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Like you've, you've probably heard this story, you probably know this story, right? And it's not like Jesus just hosted 5,000 people, right? He actually made food for them out of five little barley loaves, right? And two little fish. Just nod if you know the story. Okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So some of you do. And so what he's doing is, is he's taking something. You're going to see this pattern in Jesus' life. He's taking something that seemed meaningless, five little loaves and two fish, right? And he's going to turn it into something meaningful. And so that happens. Jesus feeds those 5,000. And then from there, he, he heads out of town into the hills, just Jesus. He, he kind of wants to get away from the crowd. They're trying to make him a king. So he heads off on his way. And now these disciples, right, and then I'm speaking of the 12, you guys know what I'm talking about, the 12 disciples that Jesus chose that followed him everywhere, right, they're like tired of waiting for him. They must have been a bit impatient at times, and so they hop in the boat, and they start rowing across this lake to get to the other side to Capernaum. And on their way, they're like three or four miles out in the lake, and a storm hits, 
okay? And they're kind of starting to freak out as we would probably do if we were in the boat as well. And then all of a sudden they see Jesus who had been up in the hills doing his thing come down and he's walking on the water. And it says they couldn't wait to get him into the boat which I can totally feel that anticipation. I couldn't wait either. And they get him into the boat, and it says that they just made it safely to the other side. And so now that they're on the other side, they've left those 5,000 people behind. Like, they, you would think that sneaking off in the middle of the night, Jesus walks on the water and gets in the boat. Like, they don't know where he is. They could have eluded this crowd that, that they were trying a little bit with good intentions to, to lose, right? But... That wasn't the case. They found him anyway. And if you think about it, if you put yourself in their shoes, like who wouldn't search endlessly and relentlessly for someone who just fed them from practically nothing? Or like I would try and figure out how to get across that lake and find Jesus too. And so that's the point of the story where I'm gonna ask you to, to be a part of it with me. I'd like you to imagine yourself in the story. We'll jump in together, and th this is what I want you to do. Perhaps imagine that you are one of those 5,000 that was just fed by Jesus. Or you just received the benefits of this miracle. You witnessed it firsthand, and you just chased him across the lake. Okay, that's you and me. And here we are. We're trying to figure out this Jesus guy trying to figure out what he's about because we're pretty sure he's not just some crazy chef who fix up 5,000 loaves and whatever the heck he was doing, right? We're pretty sure that's not just who he is. He's more than that. And so now we're in the midst of Jesus. We got across the lake. We found him. And here's the first question we decide to ask after this game of hide and seek. And this, this is what they said. They said, Rabbi, when did you get here? That is funny. Like seriously, who asks that? Right, he just fed them five, he fed 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish. They raced across the lake to find him, right? It wasn't like some easy journey and they get there and they're like, Rabbi, when'd you get here? Like, oh, it's just, it's so crazy that, that it's obvious that their longing, which is our longing, right? Because we're imagining we're these people, that it's so much deeper than that, but we don't know how to express it. So we start to ask some meaningless question, like, when did you get here? Right, but Jesus, he's, he's actually on to us as this group of, of 5,000, right? He's on to us, and so this is what he says. He completely ignores their question of when did you get here, and, and here's what he says next. He says, I tell you the truth, right? And anytime Jesus says that, it seems to me that he tells the truth, and he's pretty serious too, okay? And he says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs, he says, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. And, and now that speaks to those people, but he very well could be saying to us, don't worry about things. Don't be so concerned about things like the way you look or the size of your house or the number of bills you have to pay or your need to be liked. Don't be so concerned about those things that will just fall away eventually. And this is what he tells us to do. He says, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of approval. We're like, so Jesus has this big crowd of people that's us, and he, he wants us to quit wasting our energy on all that is meaningless and rather invest it into the one and only thing that he says is meaningful. Right, but remember, we're a, a large crowd who just witnessed 
a miracle, and so we kind of ignore Jesus' invitation about how to spend our energy. And so here's what our reply is. We want to perform God's works too. What should we do? It's a pretty practical question. And if you think about what it'd be like to ask that question as this group of people, like, hey, we want to do these works too, Jesus. We get it, the life thing and energy, whatever, but hold on, you just took five loaves and two fishes and turned it into this crazy miracle. We want to see that too. Like, I can even see myself now asking that question of Jesus and like, hey, I I want to be about that as well. But what I found so interesting about this question is that it actually speaks to, to our great challenge of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Because if we start asking what works can we do, we're starting to skip over the relationship. We're starting to skip over the identity of who we are, of being rooted in who Jesus says we are. Like this actually becomes a picture of us being focused on performing works. We want to be defined, we want to be known by what it is we can do. And we want to be known for what it is that we can do. Right, but Jesus, he, he doesn't leave us hanging here. He, he essentially ignores this plea as well. And here's what he says to that. He says, this is the only work God wants from you. So he makes it really simple. There's only one thing he wants. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. He said, all you gotta do is believe in Jesus. So apparently Jesus knows something. That's immediately what I think because he's not answering any of the questions we as this group of 5,000 people are asking. He's he's ignoring them and saying other things with other questions and ideas. And he knows that without a relationship founded in him, the work becomes worthless. The work, it's essentially meaningless if it doesn't come from the overflow of our love for God. It doesn't come from an overflow of our relationship with him. It's almost like Jesus is making it sound simple, but we're sitting there thinking there's, there's got to be a catch. And I think our response in this story and probably many of the days of our lives is, isn't pretty. We keep, we keep doing what these people are doing, right? We're clamoring for more miracles. We're like shouting at Jesus, like, dude, do some more magic, Jesus. Wow us, feed us. Right, this particular group is like, rain down that manna from heaven like you did for Moses. We want to see that. That sounds cool too. Bring us this. Bring us that. Do this. Do that. And Jesus, much like he is with us day in and day out, he's really patient with this group of 5,000 people clamoring, telling him to make some more bread. Right, and he flips the script because he knows what it is that we really need. Here's what he says in John 6, 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So Jesus is aware of the fact that he is all we need. Like he's all we'll ever need. And and it's his very flesh, right? It's his very, very flesh and blood that is the source of the life. And Jesus goes on to explain this and and. I will admit, even when I read it now after having studied it for a while and prayed it over, like, this is crazy, right? Or as the kids say, this is cray. This is, it's gonna get 
cray in here. If you don't know what the kids are saying, that's what they're saying, okay? And so here's what, here's what he says in John 6, 53 through 55. Jesus lays it out, and notice how he starts this. He says, I tell you the truth, which means he's going to tell us the truth, and it's pretty important. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. He says, but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. I told you it was cray. Right, like, I mean, that's not some standard invitation. Right, you probably don't encounter people that you really admire who are like, yeah, just grab some flesh and blood. Right, just right here on the forearms, fine. Or you probably don't encounter people like that. But as we gather as this group of people, right, imagine we're these 5,000 people and we just booked it across the lake to see and hear more of Jesus. He just made this big miracle for us and here we are and we want to hear from Jesus but we're caught off guard because we thought it'd be easier than this offensive flesh eating and blood drinking that he's offering us. That was particularly offensive to this group of people. But Jesus knows that. And I think something we forget about Jesus is that he wasn't offering easy. He was offering a life that's worth it. He was offering us a life that's worth it. And so this same clamoring crew, right? They're the ones that we all booked it across the lake. We wanted more miracles. We wanted to know what was going on. We, we thought we were gonna be a part of something super amazing and witness all these things happening. A few verses after the flesh and, flesh and blood comments, this is what we read in John six sixty six. It says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Right, so like, that's, that was us, the 5,000. Many of us turned away and deserted him. We had had enough. But get this, those closest to him, right, his, his 12, right, those main guys, they decided to stay. Right, he asks them if they're gonna leave too, and they're like, we're not leaving. And he says, why? Right, and it's so amazing to me why they stayed. Those who had the most intimate relationship with Jesus, those who trusted him the most deeply, those were the ones who chose Jesus no matter the cost because they knew who he was at the core of his being. They knew who Jesus was and they said, we're gonna stay. And as you might have guessed and we, we kind of talked about right now, like Jesus wasn't talking about eating his flesh and blood right then and there. That's not what he was offering at that moment. You just come and have a bite. It's, that's not what it was about, right? He, he was referencing what he came to earth to do. To die for us. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about how he was willing to die a brutal death with, with much tearing of flesh and an outpouring of blood. That's what he was talking about, that he came for that. But choosing to follow Jesus and embracing this flesh and blood, that idea, it's actually hard. It's hard. I don't know if we say that enough, but it's a hard thing to do. And that's why Jesus lays forth the challenge centered around eating his flesh and drinking his blood so that we might not forget the cost. 
so that we might not forget not only the physical pain that Jesus endured on our behalf, but the, the weight and the burden of all of humanity's sins that he took upon himself. We cannot live without the blood of Jesus. That's what it's about. And again, that's hard. It's hard. And it's hard because if someone has given you their life, if someone has given you their life, the only appropriate response is to give your life in return. That's all that can happen. Like you live for him and it's a hard thing to relinquish control. To live a life open-handed is a hard thing to do. But the promise from Jesus was never that it would be easy, but that it would always be worth it. Right, because Jesus walking up that hill to be crucified, walking up to hang on that cross, right, enduring the shame and the, the, the pain and the, the mocking and the, the, the hurt, whatever was happening in that moment, like not to understate it, but that wasn't easy. Yet Jesus himself believed it was worth it. He even wanted out of it at a time, but it was still worth it to him. And so we remember not with actual flesh and actual blood, but with, with bread, right, that represents the, the body of Jesus. And, and when we eat it, we remember him, right? And then when we drink, or in this case, what we're about to do is dip our bread into the glass of wine or juice. That represents the blood that Jesus shed for us, and so we remember him, Jesus actually gathered all his disciples together, but before he, he went off on that journey that was never easy, but was always worth it to die for us, and he gathered them up, and, and in Luke 20, he said this. He held up, or imagine this is what he did. He held up the, the glass of wine, and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, right? The relationship between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to you like the foundation of his covenant relationship with us is found in the bread and the wine, in the flesh and the blood. And so as a church family, we're gonna take communion here. And, and again, just the reminder would be that you take the bread and you dip it in the wine or the juice. But however, before we begin that process, the band will come up and they'll play and we'll have an opportunity to set our own hearts right before God. Maybe that means there's something you need to repent of now. You need to confess. Maybe there's somebody you need to go call. Maybe there's somebody sitting next to you that you need to talk to. And then when you're ready to go do that, you can help yourself and we'll take communion together. So here, here we are where we realize now that the cross is not the end of the story. Like there, there's a light that I wanna shine on the rest of the story for us and what that means for you and what that means for me. And, and this is kind of an aside, but as I was preparing this week and thinking about the, the fact that I wanted to shine the light on something else, I thought of another story about Pastor Sam that I just had to share with you. And, and it may or may not mean anything to what I'm about to say, but uh, my wife and I used to live near Sam 
and, and his family. And so he would often at night drive by our house on his way home. And we didn't have any uh, blinds in our living room windows. So he could see if we were in there on the couch or at the table or working or whatever we were doing. And so what he would do on occasion, and we never knew this was him, he would turn perpendicular in the road, which is a fairly busy road that he was doing this. And he would shine his lights into our window and just flash them over and over at us. And he did this like four or five times before he ever told us it was him. And so we were, we were adequately freaked out at that. And, and I, I don't know, I just, I thought about that and I, a couple things hit me. I, I like to imagine that Sam's light is still shining as well. And, and I'd like to imagine that he couldn't be uh, more proud of where we're headed as a family and what we're about to talk about here. And so here's what I wanna shine the light on. It's this, that Jesus isn't dead. They're like, yeah, you heard that, right? He's not dead, I know, right? He's not dead. He's not dead. And, and get this, too. All that is true of Jesus is true of us. All right, so let me break that down real quick, right? Covenant or relationship as we've been talking about, right? It's about being one, as in being one with Jesus. If you are one with Jesus, all that is true of Jesus is true of you. And this means that since you have been gathered into a covenant with God through Jesus, you've become one with the Father through Jesus. You catching that? Right, and so this means that everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. Right, Jesus is described as the Son of God. And so everyone, be they male or female, they're described as sons of God in the New Testament. It's not a gender thing. It's because you're one with Jesus who is the Son of God. Jesus applies to us everything that is true of himself. So if he died, those who are in covenant relationship with him have died, which means that the penalty, right, the, the, the death for our sins, it's been paid. Jesus paid it. We, too, have died with Jesus. And if Jesus' death is our death, then that means that Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. Like, we're not dead. And if we're not dead, we're not done. Right? Like, Jesus still has something for us. He still has something for you, just like Jesus wasn't done. And so what I want us to do, I'm going to walk us quickly through the version of the resurrection from John 20. And, and I say quickly because we're probably not going to run, but we're going to do like that awkward like speed walking thing. That's, how, that's the rate at which we'll go through John 20 here, okay? And so he, here's what happens. It's early Sunday morning. Like Jesus was crucified on Friday. Right, this excites me. And, and, and it was early Sunday morning, three days after, right? And Mary comes to the tomb. Mary Magdalene, she's, she's brokenhearted and she's gone to the tomb to mourn and she gets to Jesus' tomb and the stone has been rolled away. Like no small feet, it was not a tiny stone, it was a big stone. And she looks inside and Jesus is missing. Gasp, right, like she, she freaks out. And so she goes and gets Paul, or she gets Peter and John and they sprint and they come and they look inside and they're like, yes, Mary confirmed Jesus is not in there. Right, they, they can't find him. Jesus was missing. And they're like, okay, so maybe this resurrection deal he was talking about is true. And so shortly after this discovery, after uh, Peter and John go on their way, Mary's back at the tomb weeping. She's back there and she musters up the courage to look inside the tomb again. 
Again, nothing. Jesus isn't in there. There's a couple angels and they're like, hey, don't worry, Mary. And so she turns to leave and as she turns to leave, she bumps into this man that she believes to be the gardener. And she's like, sir, if, if you took the body, would you just say so and when we can put it back? Like Mary's very polite to the gardener. But this man says to her, Mary! It's got an exclamation point, so I'm sure it was like that. Mary! Right, like, that's Jesus. In that moment, she realizes that she's in the presence of Jesus. You see, Mary misses Jesus on first glance after all of this, even though he's right there in front of her. And this is, this is free of charge this morning, right, or to this evening. Like, how often do we miss Jesus when he's right in front of us? How often do we do that? That's neither here nor there. That's free. And so then after that, on that same night, Right on that same night, Jesus then, he, he breaks into this locked door gathering that the disciples were having, right? They were pretty nervous after Jesus had been crucified and they didn't know what was gonna happen and so they always locked the doors and they got together and they're having this meeting and Jesus appears in their presence and he says, peace be with you, right? Which is, I hate that, right? That's just, that's just Bible talk for Jesus coming in. He's like, what up, homies? I'm back. Right, like that's how, that's how excited Jesus was to be back there with them. And he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. But before he did that, he showed them his scars. He showed them his scars. The scars on his hands and the scar on his side. He shows those to them. Unfortunately, though, Thomas, one of the disciples, he wasn't there. Thomas missed out on this meeting and they all, all his friends gather around Thomas. They're like, Thomas, you missed out. Jesus was here and he showed us the scars and Thomas is like, I'm believing you. And really like, we're too hard on doubting Thomas because that's what we would have been like too, right? The, Jesus came back from the dead three days later. I don't believe that. That's what we would say, right? We, we would be worried as well. And so this is what Thomas says. He goes, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. And then eight days later, Jesus appears to Thomas and Thomas does that. It's his hands and the scars and Jesus' hands and side. And here's the thing about these scars that, that Thomas wanted to see and touch that Thomas, Thomas got to see and touch. Jesus' body still bore the marks of the crucifixion. The scars were still there after the resurrection. Like you'd think that Jesus would have been like, right, like wiped them away. But the scars were still there and this, this is the permanence of Christ's commitment. The scars are still there and it was only the loving sacrifice of Jesus, a permanent sacrifice that could make us new that could make us whole, and that could make us like Jesus. I walk right up onto a throne Pick up your life, lay down my own And on this altar known as love He made an orphan child a son Made an orphan child a son Ooh. 
of your, your scars, they leave a mark too. But if all that is true of Jesus is true of us, then, then our scars, whatever it is, our hurt, our pain, our struggle, our past, wherever it came from, they have a story too that Jesus wants to resurrect for his glory, for his purpose, out of his love for you. Like each one of us, our scars are a story just waiting to point to Jesus. And my, my friend's sister-in-law, she says it better than I could ever say it. And her and her husband, they're, they're pressing on in the midst of their little daughter. Her name's Alistair, and she's fighting with cancer. And, and Jay, Alistair's mom, she had the courage to write this. She said, I sit in the midst of this reality and I pull its truths to me. I gather around me all these treasures and take stock. I do not want to lose out on one jewel, one gift my father has handed to me. For I know that one day this will be done. What done will look like, I do not know. One year ago today, Alistair was discharged from the hospital for the last time, having completed her treatment for AML, the type of leukemia she has. All that was left was to have her Hickman catheter removed. We had four perfect bone marrow tests to stand on. I could never have guessed that one year later would look like this. I am thankful I could not have known. 
I do not know what May 2nd, 2014 will look like. What I do know is that no matter what, I pray I will be changed by this forever changed. Oh, I know that I will be scarred and more broken and more tender. I will have aged and the wrinkles and the gray wily hairs will be numerous. But I pray for softening, not hardening. I pray for lightheartedness alongside the soberness. I pray for a life filled with grace and forgiveness and giving the benefit of the doubt. I pray for more thankfulness and less envy, less coveting. I pray for clearer vision of what matters and the ability to wait and to let go. I pray for deeper joy because my taproot goes down, down into the heart of the living God. I pray for more boldness to speak what is true. I pray for that which I once scoffed. I pray for a quiet and gentle spirit. I pray for a tongue that is slow to speak in anger. I pray I am so much quicker to admit my wrong and ask forgiveness and quicker to forgive. She says, I pray for less pettiness and for more, more delight. I pray for eyes that see the eternal and not only the temporal. I want to be changed by this. I want it to permanently mark me. And every single one of us, we're, we're scarred on some level from some time. But it doesn't have to be meaningless. Like, like God, our, our almighty God, he's in the business of taking that which appeared meaningless and making it meaningful, that which appeared broken and making it whole, that which appeared dead and bringing it to life. When we choose life in Jesus, because of his death and because of his resurrection, we're now marked permanently by the spirit of God. That's right, the spirit of God, right, is living within us, has marked us. As a gift from Jesus, as he ascended from this earth, he left us with that. And now we're on a mission, just like our friend Jay is on a mission, a mission to live for God in the midst of everything. Every single Thing Like we as followers of Jesus were already marked, we're forgiven and the scars, they remind us of who we are, that we are like Jesus himself. We as the people of God are permanently marked and now what we do is we look around at this world and so often we wonder, we like wonder, why isn't God doing anything? What's going on here? Why isn't God doing anything? Well, the truth is, he is and we're it. That's what he's doing. He's doing it through us. People are looking at Jesus and they're, he, they're looking at our lives and they're, they're wondering, is this really true? Is this really true? And our lives say every day that it is. Our, our lives say every day that this is proof that it is true because we are permanently marked. And everything that is true of Jesus is true of us. You guys can go ahead right now and just maybe set your notes aside or slip your phone in your pocket or whatever it might be and spend this time reflecting on who Jesus is. You can reflect on, on your scars and pray that Jesus would resurrect them for his purpose, for the world to see. Maybe you want to just right now remember the price that he paid 
and remember that all that is true of him is true of you. And so reflect on everything that you can even remember right now about Jesus and know that he says that's true of you too. Take this time and I'll close us in a moment. take this time just reflecting on who Jesus is. I want to take a moment and maybe speak to anybody here tonight who, who hasn't entered into this relationship with Jesus. The, the one that, that we first talked about where, where he, he went to the cross to die for us so that we might be set free from our sin. Maybe, maybe you haven't entered into that relationship so that everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. And tonight's the night you just want to make that commitment. You want to say, that's the life I want to live. I want forgiveness. I want to turn around. I want to go after Jesus. And so if that is you tonight and and you've never stepped into that, would you just be so bold as to slip up your hand and say, that's me tonight. That's me. And in my heart, I know that this is the step I need to take. I want to be in relationship with Jesus. So you can go ahead and do that now. Just make eye contact with me, slip up your hand. It's something that we wanna celebrate with you. We wanna pray that you might have the courage, yep. I see you right there, to go forward. And now everything that is true of you is the same things that are true of Jesus. Is there anyone else wouldn't wanna miss you? God, we are in awe of the fact that you love us just as we are. We're in awe of the fact that when we choose you, we take you up on that offer of new life, that now we are called sons of God because you, Jesus, are the son of God. And if only we could hold on to a couple things tonight, God, would, would you just settle into our spirits, settle into our hearts, the truth that following you is in fact rarely easy, but it is always worth it. Ingrain that into our being when we meet those challenges or those temptations in which we must choose. May we always choose you. And God, the other thing that I just pray for all of us in this room that it would just come down upon us and we would never forget that all that is true of you is true of us because we are in relationship with you and that we wouldn't just hoard that for ourselves and live in isolation but that that would be something that the whole world would know that we would live with the the same light shining 
like Alistair's mom, Jay, that, that we, would, we would just shout that to the world, Jesus, you are all that matters. We love you, Jesus. Our lives are yours. In your name we pray.